0: Show features Tyler Fornes and Deshaun Vaughn as they talk your Minnesota Vikings with you,
1: the fans. Welcome ladies and gentlemen. It is another beautiful purple Monday here in Skullland. My name is Tyler Fornes, and Dave, the trusty producer, is riding with me today. Unfortunately, Deshaun couldn't make it, he has to take care of some personal matters. And we wish him all the best, and we will see him next week, ready to roll. Dave, this is going to be a really fun show. You know why? Why? We get to talk about a big fat W, <laughs> and it's 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 a beautiful thing, and it's incredible how much just winning cures all. Because last week, I and even the week before, I was incredibly negative, and we're still going to talk about some things that we can improve on, and that uh, are some concerns moving forward. Because every team has them, but. We're going to talk a lot of positivity today, Uh, but before we get all that going, Dave, how are you? I'm good.
0: Hey, Victory Monday, there's nothing like it. It makes turning your Monday purple so much easier. It is absolutely fantastic to see the team come together, make adjustments, and absolutely kick some sea
1: chicken ass. Poor Reef, seeing his team lose, it's, yeah. it's a tough thing. But anyways, it, we had a fantastic uh, game on Sunday. I was at U.S. Bank Stadium along with a few other Climbing the Pocket members. Ryan was there. Flip was there. Eric uh, from the Daily Norseman was there. And it. let me tell you, it felt good to be back in the stadium. <laughs> and you could tell that the players were feeding off of that energy. They're still not able to do the pyrotechnics. So what they did, and they had the the pregame videos going on where you have all the legends just talking about what it means to be a Viking. They had artificial snow coming down from the Raptors, and it was awesome. It was awesome. And it was kind of hilarious because, uh, whatchamacallit, they had the doors open on the north end of the stadium. So you've got the doors open because it's so nice and warm out, and you have fake snow coming down. It was just, it was awesome, and it was a lot of fun.
0: Huh, Joseph? The answer to your question? No, I'm not drinking the same thing I was drinking last night. Last night I was drinking Cosmic Cowboy uh, IPA brewed here, about 20 minutes away. Tonight I'm drinking a fine Canadian whiskey, um, mixed. So,
1: what's your well, mixture of choice?
0: Uh, Believe it or not, it's Diet Dr. Pepper Cherry. Ooh.
1: Um, That could go really well with the blended.
0: Oh, it does. Trust me, it does. I drink a lot (laughs) of it, generally. Anyways, not that that's a big surprise. I would have loved to have been there at that stadium. I've yet to be to the game. Eventually, I will get there. One of the things that we loved about yesterday was that Flip joined us on the final um, score, our post game show right before the end of the game and he was live from the stadium. And I would love to get more fans and hosts joining us live from the stadium after the game. One of the classic parts of yesterday was when he turned the camera on some Seattle fans that were sitting beneath him, lower in the bowl. Great seats, about $800 seats. And they were all hands in their face, you know, just like, uh, because it was a wonderful game for us. The, The Vikings did things yesterday. And we'll get into them, both on the defense and the offense, that show well for the future.
1: Yeah, 100%. The Vikings uh, uh, did a lot of things really well. Um, I want to drop this. And, Dave, we didn't talk about it a lot pre-show. But those of you in the chat, we get a ton of great questions for you. Save some for the end because Dave and I will take some questions here at the end. But save them because we want to make sure that we get through everything. And then we want to make sure we answer the best of your questions. Keep that interaction going because you guys are absolutely fantastic in the chat every single show. We want to make sure we get you guys rewarded. All right. Now, let's talk about uh, Kirk Cousins. Look, I have probably been the most vocal as far as criticism regarding Kirk Cousins on this network. And that's okay. Kirk Boom. balled out. He did exactly what he was brought in to do for the second consecutive week. And this is Kirk Cousins. This is what we wanted. This is what we expect. And he deserves this all the praise in the world. Yeah, this is what we paid for he deserves all the praise because of the performance that he has. And you talk about a guy who has had three consecutive weeks of a PFF grade above 80, where 60 is average. That is fantastic to see. 74% completion percentage, 800 plus yards. Actually, I think he's over 1,000. Eight touchdowns, no picks, one fumble, and he recovered himself. That's a hell of a stat line for three games now. You want to be able to turn that into a 3-0 and record or a 2-1. and The Vikings are sitting at 1-2. You can't put that on Kirk Cousins. You can be a little frustrated with week one. Uh, and he was a, a little timid at times, and he yeah. wasn't driving the ball down the field. Uh, his stats were mainly an aggregation of um, attempts and the ability to just continue to throw the ball. And Mary, that's 100% right. He was confident. That he he laid his his junk on the table and said, "I'm ready to go." <laughs> and he, he was he was he was great. And I really don't think there's anything you can say about it.
0: No, that's what I wanted. I wanted to bring up about Kirk. You see a change in him. I don't know if it's him and Zimmer doing the 45 minute a week sessions where uh, they break down film and talk about what each expects and how each can get better, but His leadership level has stepped up on the field. He's not just the the lonely loser, the loner out there. He is actually taking charge, and you see that. And he's becoming almost fearless. And that pass to uh, um, KJ Osborne, where he's coming back, and it's a blitz. And he knows he's going to get plastered. He floats up an absolutely perfect pass in a window that's probably maybe this big, right? And, uh, and to me, that is the development of Kirk this season. Is probably overall. I Even mean, we take the O line and we take, you know, other places that other team players that have developed. To me, that is the most promising out of all of them because the quarterback is the key to winning the big one, period. Um, and without it, you don't. I don't care how good you are you unless you're in that last three percentage that has a defense that's out of this absolute world, and we know so far this season the Vikings don't, um, it takes that quarterback, and I am so, so happy to
1: see that. I was very happy to see it, too. And it was really evident being from the stands, and I haven't had the opportunity to watch the tape back because I had a work meeting where I officially got my promotion, which was a wonderful thing. Oh, 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 I know. That's congrats. that's why I'm drinking the Pumpkin Nitro tonight because I am able to buy any beer I want. Hey! That, outstanding. Absolutely. So, but let's kind of continue on here. It was evident that Kirk was just playing with swag. He, he had a swagger about <laughs> him the entire football game. There was a confidence. There was an aura, and he made those big boy throws. Oh uh, yes, the one, the the one that everybody's been talking about um, is the one on third down, eight minutes to go in the game. Kirk's running back. He's got a free blitzer coming at him. It reminded me exactly of what Kyler Murray did on that fourth down uh, in the fourth quarter where he hit that post route to Christian Kirk. It was a different route, different concept, same exact thing. And I'm just standing in the stadium. I'm like, that's Kyler Murray shit right there. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know who this Kirk Cousins is, but I like him. And I hope he stays around for a while because it was impressive. He was making those calculated throws all game. He wasn't taking overly aggressive shots. I would like to see this offense take a couple more deep shots. They didn't. I, I don't think they attempted one pass more than 20 yards down the field. But at the end of the day, it didn't matter. Moving forward, it's going to matter a little more. So that's something I'm going to be looking forward to uh, moving forward. David, looked like you had something you wanted to say. Well, you talk about the aggressiveness,
0: <clears> and I don't know if I brought it up yesterday. I think I did, but I may have already deleted it. It was the tweet of the game. That's fine. I know where it's at. Um. And it came from our buddy Arif Hassan, who you've already talked about tonight. Um scroll, scroll, scroll. Courtney Arif. Here we go. Let me drop this puppy on there. And you could see it feels like Kubiak's giving himself one insane plane call, uh, a drive, and then he follows up by being extremely safe. I think that will change in the future. I think we are going to see more of those shots that you described, be it over 20 or not. I think like when KJ Osborne a couple games ago was streaking down the sideline, you're going to see those. Kirk's going to see it because Kirk is seeing things faster. It's processing in his head and he's going from, you know, option, option, option. And when he sees, you know, just a sliver of purple, like with the KJ Osborne screen pad, well, short screen, dump off in the front, mm-hmm. he's seeing that and he's making that. Um, don't worry, Jerome, we'll get to the O-line. Um, but he's doing that, and that is something he hasn't done. And if you noticed yesterday, there was a few plays off script that he didn't, Vapor lock upstairs He actually moved And made plays That to me is a Humongous step And I don't know where it's coming from Whether it's Zim Whether it's the uh, other coaches Quarterback coaches, wherever But it is absolutely heartening To see
1: No I I agree completely Um, And to, to kind of build off that a little bit I'm really intrigued to see, and you alluded to it in, in your, uh, your tidbit there, how Clint continues to evolve. Because I think when we watched those first two games, Dave, it was evident he was not a comfortable play caller. And I wonder how much of that had to do with him not really calling plays. And they were adjusting where he was going to be, if he was going to be in the press box or on the field in the preseason. And the chemistry with him and Zimmer, And what Zimmer wants to do, I thought was incredibly evident in the Cardinals game. It was a Clint first half and a Zimmer second half. Mm -hmm. And I think in this game, you really saw that it was a Clint game. I didn't really feel a heavy Zimmer influence. There were a couple second and long runs. Look, you're running a wide zone. It's going to happen. It's not happening nearly at the frequency that it did last year. And I think that was a bigger key for me. And it never felt like the running game was forced where sometimes you're really feeding Dalvin Cook to feed Dalvin Cook because you're paying him a bunch of money. Right. Madison had 45% of the touches, but eight of them were pass plays. Some of them were designed. Some of them were not. I think it was about four and four. So you're talking about 40% of the plays were designed to go to Alexander Madison. That's not forcing him the ball. That's not – like especially within the flow of the game, it felt normal. It felt natural. You weren't just intentionally just trying to get it to Alexander Madison. That's a good offensive game. They and, were letting things come to them. And as Madison showed, he can
0: he could very easily start in other teams. Mm-hmm. Um over a hundred yards rushing. He had, I think it was over sixty yards receiving. Skull Dan. Welcome to the show. It's uh I think it's good. Now, you say Zimmer influence. Is Zimmer changing? As much as we talk about Kirk Cousins changing, is Mike Zimmer changing? And how he's now realizing that... We'll get into how he manipulated the defense here in a bit, but how he's allowing the offense to be more modern. Yeah, Clint's the one calling the plays, but he's allowing a more modern offense. We're passing more than we're running. We're not forcing the run. Um, Is that possible? Or is it a mirage because Clint is so much better? That's my question to you.
1: I think there are some ways where I think Zimmer has shown that he's willing to evolve. And I think a lot of that has to do with the success of the offensive line. They said at draft weekend they were looking for bigger, stronger guys because their small athletes just were not working out to the success that they want. And I think evidence of that, guys like Dakota Dozier, guys mm-hmm. like Garrett Bradbury, high upside athletes who are great in space but can't anchor. And the transition Speaking from that line. to Wyatt Davis and with uh, Christian Derisaw, <clears throat> excuse me, and then also along with them, moving Oli Udo inside to guard, who's a big boy. Yeah, and it's working. And I think in those areas, you're seeing evolution. I think in other areas, which we'll talk about later, you're not seeing evolution. And that's kind of what worries me moving forward. But I think Zimmer has become more apt to change because I think he knows his ass is grass if he doesn't succeed this season. (laughs) And when you have Clint Kubiak, who did not just work under his dad, You worked at uh, programs like Kansas where they're running spread concepts. You worked for the Ravens where they were running kind of uh, spread stuff with Flacco at one point. You're doing a lot of different things. And when you do a lot of different things as a coach, you absorb all of that and then you kind of form your own system. And I think we're seeing that with Clint Kubiak right now. This is not a wide zone system right now. This is a system that runs wide zone. Like you're spreading the ball out. You are running five wide. You're uh, utilizing the short passing game. It feels like a spread West Coast hybrid that uh, focuses on wide zone when you're talking about the running game because you're using a lot of spacing and you're doing a lot of of curls, a lot of ins, a lot of out routes, flats, like all these kind of concepts which are very, very prevalent in the West Coast system. You're not really pushing the ball down the field that much. But your running game concepts are a base-wide zone. Like It feels like Kubiak has really made a true hybrid of everything that he's learned, and he's taking advantage of that. Uh, I'm really intrigued to see how Zimmer continues with this. If this offense sputters for two games, what's going to happen? Is Zimmer just going to be like, no, you do this. You need to do this and take away his creative freedom. Or does he say, hey, two games – you know what? You, we need to stay the course because this has worked and this will work. That's going to be the real key to the true evolution of Mike Zimmer. It When things go bad, like they did with John DiFilippo, DiFilippo was not great, but at the same time, he was uh, somewhat unfairly crucified because it wasn't all on him. Is Zimmer going to take that kind of reaction where he's going to either get rid of Clint Kubiak or completely scale it back and strip it bare bones? Is he going to stay the course and give the kind of reign, free reign that Norv Turner and Pat Shermer had? Now I know Turner and Shermer were former head coaches, and that's why they got it. But if Kubiak has earned the trust of Mike Zimmer, will he be afforded the same luxury? Because we know what kind of reverence that uh, Zimmer had for his dad Gary.
0: Well, and it very well might be. We'll see. And you got to also remember, uh, Clint also worked with Kevin Stefanski. Mm -hmm. Which will be our opponent next week, or this coming up weekend. Um, Who knows? Maybe that sign of evolving and releasing of the micromanagement type control may already be demonstrated in how Mike Zimmer has dealt with the kicker. Last week, we know Greg Joseph missed a game-winning kick, plus an extra point. This week, you know, and afterwards, Mike Zimmer said, hey, he's a kicker. They missed some. He's good to go. Nice coddling grandfather type inspirational stuff. And this week, Greg Joseph was six for six. That may be the same approach he takes with the offense and Clint Kubiak in particular. At least I'm hoping to see that.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping to see it, too. I want to see this offense continue to grow and develop. Because when you take a look around the NFL, the McVeighs of the world grow and adapt. The Andy Reeds of the world grow and adapt. Just within the context of last season, the the Buccaneers completely flipped what they were doing. Yeah. Uh, we're going to get to him. Don't worry, Joseph. We're going to get get to Gronklin, all right? Uh, we've got a lot of things we're going to talk about. And don't forget, save your questions for the end of the show. I'll give you a couple-minute warning so we can start a- a- answering some of your questions. Uh, and I-, I think we'll kind of utilize this as a transition point because uh, we want to see that evolution like we see from the best play callers in the NFL with Clint Kubiak. But one of the things that I think – we can't overlook is something that Joseph just mentioned, Tyler Conklin. Yes. The usage of Tyler Conklin. They, I don't know yet if it was a panic trade for Chris Herndon. Regardless, they needed another tight end. They get him for a minimum salary. They gave up a fourth, a little bit of a high price. Nobody's going to fight that. Let's be honest. Rick Spielman is going to end up with like six of them anyways. So does it really matter? (laughs) Not a lot. So, the utilization Well, We'll get of Tyler
0: into that Conklin. when we get into mock draft
1: Mondays. Oh, and you know what? If the Vikings play like this, it'll be a little later getting into mock draft Mondays. <laughs> Which is fantastic. Yes, we'll we'll take it all day. So utilization of Tyler Conklin, the utilization of the tight end in general, has been a real struggle for this team. Last few years, you have Kyle Rudolph, who great in the red zone. There were very few tight ends better in the red area than Kyle Rudolph, but in the middle of the field, Kyle Rudolph was cheeks. He really he caught the ball and he dropped. So they didn't utilize him. They didn't feature him. First two years at Irv Smith Jr., he was more of an H-back, blocking tight end, used in the flats and gave him some run after the catch. They didn't feature him. This year was supposed to be a big feature for him. He was going to eat up the middle of the field when you have Jefferson and Thielen on the outside. Well, he gets hurt. Tyler Conklin steps in. And you're, you really started to see this week. What they were thinking for Irv Smith Jr. Mm -hmm. On how they utilized Conklin. They were utilizing him up the seam. They were utilizing him in the quick game. How he got his touchdown and a little speed out. Conklin did such a great job maximizing what he was asked to do in this football game. He's also a very good blocker. Which cannot be overstated. And cannot be mentioned enough. Conklin was very good. And I think it it goes to show the, the brilliance of what Clint Kubiak is doing. Because He's utilizing everything he has.
0: When mm-hmm. um, you talk tight ends, of course, that's my first love. Conklin is doing great. I suspect that Irv would be even better because we've all talked about it. Irv was going to be the mm-hmm. functional wide receiver three. Him yep. being out has allowed KJ Osborne to ascend to that role and to ascend to it absolutely beautifully. Um, you know, he was drafted to be a Kick returner, he was lousy at that, but he has become a very good and trusted wide receiver three, which is outstanding. Conklin did well in his stead. And yes, we traded for Herndon, and we haven't seen much of it since. But one of the attaboys that came out of yesterday's game was on Ellifson. Right? The kid that played at North Dakota State, that he holds his block and he holds it with a little nastiness and he drives it to the ground. And how Mike Zimmer loves that. And I know if Mike Zimmer loves that, Phil Rauscher absolutely loves that from an offensive line coach. You want a guy that can block like that. We haven't had one, you know, since the great Jimmy Klein saucer and his pancake blocks. I would love to see Ellefson develop into that type of tight end and then throughout this season, be the T tight end too. And Hey, that fourth rounder we gave for, um, the kid from the jets. Oh, well he'll work his way in. Eventually if he doesn't, Hey, it's a dime. It dozen. Hey, it's a waste. You took your shot too bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but if Ellison and Conklin continues to grow, we're looking ahead, but in twenty twenty two get Irv back and Conklin and Ellison as the blocking guy. Oh my God, what a tight end room. It's mm-hmm. it's it's wonderful. I, it makes me wanna have alone time. It's just great.
1: Well, we we have a self-pleasure joke here in the chat already. Yes. Thank you, Dave. And you know what? I I think you're spot on. The way this tight end room has been built has been a little abstract. They've had to do it on the fly, especially with losing Irv Smith, getting Herndon, and then Ellison. Um, Ellison kind of gives me like a – he's like a hybrid of uh, Rhett Ellison Mm -hmm. and Jim Klein-Saucer where he's got a little bit of that power, but he's got some flexibility in his game. But he's not just solely a power guy, and I think that well, can be very useful for this Jimmy team. Jimmy
0: could catch passes. It's just that Jimmy it's also not how they used three
1: them. times against the Bears in '99, <laughs> and we lost by one. Like uh, true, but yeah, I don't oh, care. And huh? they're finally figuring out your joke, Dave. Oh, what a Dave! Anyways, uh, you know, anyways, so let's let's kind of transition. Um, I know uh, that this is going to be the favorite part of the show. Drum roll, please. Ron Belly Love, Dave, I'm going to let you kind of take over this because I could speak about the offensive line. This is yeah, your passion. You love the big boys. And you know what? The PFF grades d- won't state how good of a job that this unit as a whole did. And that context needs to be taken. Glad you brought that uh, up because I was going to as well. Yeah, uh, and I tweeted about it earlier today when, when he talk about PFF grades. Now, it, if you, you got to look at the whole – parts not just one player because if you have one guy if you have Garrett Bradbury posting a zero pass blocking grade It's, it's be generally pretty, rough, pretty bad and you could you would have seen that. Yes. They I think they allowed five or six total pressures on Kirk on thirty eight drop backs. Outstanding and they allowed I think just one sack and that was on a blitz. So the sum of its parts is what the offensive line was about. Last year, Dakota Dozier was that blaring weak spot, and then Garrett Bradbury was rough getting forklifted like once or twice a game. There really isn't a true weak point of this offensive line right now. You could say Rashad Hill is a weak point, Garrett Bradbury, but they aren't debilitating, and that's the key. Right, and, and even I, Hill I feel like you're game. agreeing here. Um, yeah,
0: even Hill had a bad game. It's one of the fallacies about PFF. Um. Whether it be corner play, we talked about last week with Patrick Peterson saying, they scored me wrong, that wasn't my guy, they don't know the scheme I'm playing, yada yada. Um, that was Patrick Peterson's argument. It's very much the same for the offense. When they're scoring linemen, they're looking at how are they doing against the guy that they're actually engaging with. And it may not be what the assignment is, or the rules of that said assignment. Say the assignment is for Cleveland, who got a low score this week. But he wasn't she, bad. No, he wasn't bad. Um, to chip down, block, release, go to the second level. They may have seen him chip down. The guy he chipped down on then got through and so they score it poorly. When actually he did his job and got to the second level and did his hit, they're scoring it poorly when actually he's doing what is designed to be done that causes for success to open up the hole for, in this case, Madison to run through it. Um, It's individual grades. They look at it individually, and like I said, they're looking at how they're engaging the person versus necessarily the scheme and what their assignment's
1: supposed to do. Absolutely, and I what, think this is really big when you talk about Brian O'Neill too. I, sorry to cut you off, but O'Neill has a tendency in his pass set to let the a defender come at him and gain ground. Mm-hmm. And because the defender gains that ground, it's considered a negative with PFF. So right. I really like that you brought that up. And whereas you take...
0: The whole score and PFF does do. They'll do O line rankings and they'll they'll <clears throat> take a more holistic approach. Um, how those five gentlemen work together, right? And then you can throw in the tight ends on top of that, and the fullback, um, or any blocking back. How they work together to achieve um, progression on the field, i.e are you getting yards on the handoffs? Are you providing Mm -hmm. consistent pass protection so Kirk can read the field? They are doing that at a much, much better rate than if you took all those scores together and averaged them or do whatever. They are doing, they are excelling at that versus what we're used to, and what we're used to is absolute garbage. But, Mm -hmm. um... They are doing that at a much, much better rate. And the promising thing about that, that gets better over the season. Each and every snap they play together. And mm-hmm. combine that with what Kirk Cousins is doing, how the receivers are playing. And this offense can be really really good, if Mike Zimmer realizes he has to switch to I've got to score 30 points a game to win, more offensive minded, by all means it's about time and let him do that switch and let him take the next level as well, let Clint do his thing this could be something special and I love to see the round bellies succeeding like they are I give most of the credit today in a group we we're talking Nick was talking about isn't it great that Dennison is doing the run um, play uh, advising and I said is it Dennison or is it Rousher I love that Phil Rousher is actually coaching these guys up and some of them are the same guys and they are performing better it is a wonderful
1: thing Yes Yes, it is. And when you talk about uh, the Vikings' offensive line, then what Phil Rauscher has done—it's been—it's been incredible. Um, I, I want to answer uh, something that Joseph mentioned in the chat. How the hell I remember a Klein Saucer fumble from '99? I may be off a year or two. It was '90—I think it was '99 because it was a rookie year. He didn't fumble once. He didn't fumble twice. He fumbled three times, and that's when he but that got is, demoted from for Jimmy. Yeah, that. That's because that's, or sorry, he became a tight end and got demoted to fullback. And he never played a traditional tight end again. And that that always stuck out to me because that game, the Vikings lost at home to the Bears 23 22, got a touchdown and a two point conversion with two seconds left. Um, It's one of those things that always stuck out. Um, But let's transition to the defensive side of the ball and talk about some positives. Then we'll talk about some positives. Some criticisms, critiques we have of the team, and then we're going to answer some of the great people's questions. Uh, Defense, up and down, up and down. They were awful for about the first 20, 25 minutes of the football game. And from that point on, outside of that last play, which was just, hey, we're going to try and score here quick, uh, they allowed what? Yeah, we're going to get to him. Don't you worry. They allowed, I think, 44 total yards in the second half. 44 total yards in the second half. And That's zero a, on the scoreboard. That is a Mike Zimmer defense. And we knew that this defense wasn't going to gel right away because there's so many new pieces. Um, and, yeah, I think you really started to see it come together. Mike Zimmer had a great, uh, um, what should we call it, uh, not transitions, um, adjustments after halftime. Um, but let's we got to talk about the elephant in the room as you brought it up. That, uh, that really, really bad football player, Bashad Breland, A 21.6 PFF grade over the course of the season. Cornerback 103 out of 103 with enough plays to have a PFF grade for the season. Mm -hmm. And I I think I'm going to relate this to Mike Zimmer because I think this is a Zimmer philosophy. You you know that Cam Danzler is in the doghouse. We've known he's in the doghouse for a while.
0: Mm -hmm. I think
1: Mike Zimmer with his archaic old school mentality is too stubborn to pull Brashad Breland and put in Cam Dessler and it's going to hurt this team. I, I you got to take him out. It doesn't matter who he is. I don't care if it's Xavier Rhodes in 2018, right after he was an all pro. If you're playing like that, you, you can't be trusted like that on an Island. It's it was, uh, targets were nine for nine for 102 yards. And I think two touchdowns. It, it was horrible. And I heard
0: today that, uh, I think it was on friend of the show, Luke Braun, um, talked about how they went through the chi- the decision tree. Originally, they had him one-on-one. Obviously, he got picked on. The Seattle Seahawks, I would have done the same thing. I would exploit the weakness. The weakness was Bashad Breeland. I would have aimed shots at him a hundred times, right? Well, they figured... Well, that's not working. Let's change. Let's do an adjustment. So they did an in-game adjustment. Now we're going to play him in more a zone-ish type deal. Well, not even a zone, but more, all right, we're changing his responsibility. His responsibility will be from the line of scrimmage to the 15-yard line. After that, he passes it off to either um, the safety or to McKenzie Alexander, right? Cool. Going to do that. Let's see if that works. Eh. Well, no, that didn't work exactly either. So at halftime, they make another adjustment. Let's just play, have him play pure zone. If a guy comes in his area, he watches the quarterback, see where the ball goes, go to the ball, right? That finally changed, and he got better. But it was that whole first-half project process and the first two games before that of going through – This checklist of does he work here? No, he isn't working here for this game. The receiver's too good; they're picking on him. No, let's switch. How he's playing? All right, we'll go to here. Does that work? No, it doesn't work. All right, let's go back to zone, so he's responsible for only an area and looking at the quarterback to see where the ball goes and then plays the ball. Does that work? It tended to work. Now. why they didn't do that previous games, or why they haven't gone, it's not worth it when we know Cam Danzler can play this, what we're asking for, swap them out, which I wish, I hope they'll do. Um, That would be the solution. But what I just described about going down the checklist of, can he do this? Can he do man? No. Can he do... A modified man, no. Alright, we gotta put him in zone. Can he do that? Yes, it was adequate. Um that's what happened, what you saw on Sunday. Now the question is, if he can only do zone, can Cam Dansler do more than just zone? If so, Dansler needs to start. And Breland needs to ride the pine, like we used to mm-hmm. say.
1: Here's my issue with that, Dave. If he can only play zone, why is he on this football team? The whole point of this offseason was to fix the fact that you only had corners who could play a cover two shell. Like, there's no excuse here. Zimmer's supposed to be a DB guru. Mm -hmm. You keep having Bashad Breland in there, and you're adjusting to Bashad Breland when you have a guy on, on the bench who's played well for you. I agree. That there, I feel like it's this Bill Parcells mentality that was driven into him in the '80s and '90s, where it's like, hey, this is how you run a football team. And then Zimmer's like, no, this is what Bill said. Bill's one of the greatest of all time. I got to make sure I follow this. Well, at the end of the day, Bill Parcells and Bill Belichick, those guys adapted pretty well throughout their tenure, especially oh. Belichick. He he's willing to do whatever it takes to win a football game. Zimmer needs to figure that out because having a cover two corner after spending an offseason trying to fix it, it's uh-huh. inexcusable. And they, they need to take care of that right now. Yep, I agree. I agree.
0: Yeah. Now, you had talked about, and of course I covered it up. Um. Well, let's talk about the defense. What do you think of Mr. Where is it? Where is it? Oh, shoot. I didn't finish it. Everson Griffin.
1: Look, Everson's looked good. I don't know if he is capable of being the starter, but I'll tell you this it shouldn't be DJ Wantham. Steven <laughs> Weatherly was not also not good. And when, you, when you're when you talking about both of those players playing not great football, like it's tough because you know that Everson Griffin, what he's going to give you, what he's going to give you playing and play out. Well, does Everson Griffin have enough in the tank to be a full-time starter, play 60, 70 snaps a game? I genuinely don't know that. And because I don't know that, it makes it a little tough. Um, I I would give it a shot. I would also try and get Patrick Jones the second some more reps. Um, I think it was widely known that I was not the highest on him coming out of the draft, but I kind of came around when I gave him the second viewing. You can't roll with Wanneman Weatherly at this point. Wanneman Weatherly are not good. They're not doing enough. And when you have Daniel Hunter dominating like he is, Michael Pierce is playing well. Dalvin Thompson has been flashy, but he hasn't been bad either. And Everson Griffin is succeeding on pass rush downs. You have to do something on those other downs when Everson Griffin is not in at that edge two position. They have to figure it out and they have to figure it out quick because that can be a real Achilles heel that harms this team moving forward uh, in the season and down the stretch. You have to figure out uh, how you're going to get pressure from that edge two spot. Maybe they get creative with Anthony Barr. They're standing Daniil Hunter up a lot, putting him in a two-point stance. I wouldn't be shocked if they start trying to utilize Anthony Barr in that role. But we've also been saying that for three years. So who the hell knows at this point (laughs) if he's ever going to be given a chance to rush the passer. He signed with the New York Jets, kind of. Because he wanted to rush the passer. He came back because he didn't want to leave. I'm really right. intrigued to see what happens there moving forward. But you have to figure out a different plan other than DJ Wanham and Stephen Weatherly because they're not it. They're not doing enough. Three pressures on 87 pass rush snaps for DJ Wanham is objectively bad. Mm-hmm. Like well, if you're getting one for every 10, okay. Like that you're that's workable. You're talking like eight or nine Pressures. Okay. You're a second year player, you're still learning. All right, that's fine. But three yeah, like that's one for every Yeah, what, but eight 27? Nine, a
0: game when you've got Daniel and Everson were up in the thirties, forties, and fifties. Mm-hmm. Um for the season. Um you got you gotta go higher than that. You gotta simplify it. And for a defensive end, it should be relatively simple. Yeah. Um Go to the quarterback. Hit the quarterback. If the run comes to you, you stop the run, right? You shed your mm-hmm. block, stop the run. Um, and if the run goes outside of you, you string it out so the corner can come up. And hit one of the two of you going to get the tackle. But it's it's literally that simple. If he's having – if they're making it too complicated, just like with Brashad Breeland, they need to simplify it, and he can work on – get to the quarterback. A defensive end's basically sole goal in life is to hit the quarterback, to hear the air leave his lungs as he goes to the ground. It's it's what he's supposed to do. And if he can't do that, we're rotating in Weatherly and Everson. Now Everson's playing a little bit inside too, but it is what it is. That's Brent Jones, GMAC. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Raymond, need to make the necessary changes. Yes. Griffin yeah. even praised Kirk. Dan, I have that tweet,
1: believe it or not. Pop it up. up. We, we need some come proof. Here, come
0: here, come here, come here. Where is it? Doo, 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 doo. I've been dro- downloading images to work on Producer Dave's art. Um, you will see one, a more polished, there we go, um, version of kirk Hember later. Yeah. Um, but here we go. Per Courtney Cronin, one of our favorite beat writers, Kirk's playing his ass off. The offense has played their ass off. I haven't seen Kirk play like this in a long time. He's playing great football right now. You've got to recognize that, and we've just got to keep it going. That is what Everson Griffin said about Kirk Cousins. He's
1: that's a leader, names. Dave. Yes, That's a leader. That The way the verbiage is in that tweet, the way it came out of his mouth, that's how a leader speaks, and the Vikings desperately need to have one of those on the defense side of the field.
0: Yeah, football. and a vocal one, and Everson has always been vocal, whereas yeah, some of the other is. guys, the veterans, like mm-hmm. Harrison, et cetera, are
1: quieter guys. We need the vocal. and it's okay to be a it's mm-hmm. okay to be a quieter leader, but you need to have the vocal ones too. There, you need to have the kind of that it's that feng shui element. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one more thing, I want exactly. to kind of bring up before we start taking questions. So, ladies and gentlemen, get them rocking and rolling. Let's get those working. We're going to try and rapid fire and get as many of them off as we can tonight. If we don't get to yours, uh, I will try to answer them um, on Twitter here later tonight. Dave, I got to talk about that fuel belt at the end of the game. I know I was fired up in the group chat. And oh, yes, I, you were. Yes, I was. Um, and uh, I was very frustrated with the kind of some of the responses I was hearing from some very smart and passionate individuals. But we're going to talk about this play. The fourth and one on the Seattle one. End of the game. Mm-hmm. The Vikings go for it. Dave, can you make it a little larger? Sure. I want to make sure that people are able to see the graphic here. So, if the Vikings go for it. The average win percentage is 98%. You're going to succeed about 61% of the time. If you fail, if you you get stuffed at the the goal line, your win percentage is 95%. If you score a touchdown, it's basically a guaranteed win at 100%. If you kick the field goal, you're going to hit the field goal 99% of the time. So with the Vikings adjusted, um, it's about 90%. Uh, But if you fail, it's a 92% unless you're yeah, it's a, Walsh it's a 92% win percentage if you fail 96 if you win so by missing by not actually getting a touchdown you're only there's only a difference of 1% win percentage and you're facing a quarterback who has your number you're facing a top 5 quarterback in the national football league there it, this is what worries me about Mike Zimmer with some of his old-school philosophies. This is and a situation is where you need to go for it, industry. and you need you need to take the knife and stick it in the jugular and mm-hmm. end it. Yes. You, can't, uh, you can't allow somebody else to end it for you. And that prime example, a little bit of a different situation, the Carolina game last year. They kicked a field goal up three with less than two minutes to go. Kirk drove down, got a touchdown. Carolina lost that football game. Mm -hmm. You have to play smart football, and you have to end the game when you have the opportunity to, within reason. There are some times where the analytics will tell you to go for it on fourth and nine at your own 10-yard line, down one, (laughs) like last week. We had had some of those discussions last week when I was a little frustrated about uh, some of the archaic decision-making. Well, it happened again. He wasn't aggressive enough. Did it work out? Yes. Bad process is bad process. And if you utilize bad process consistently enough, you will have bad results and it will screw you over in a peak time. And that's my big frustration with that. It worked out. We got a win. And I'm very, very happy about that. But it's something that we need to fix. Zimmer needs to be more aggressive. And I just wanted to point out because it's it was very frustrating.
0: Well, he he has been more aggressive going on fourth down. Now, this definitely, when you're, Fourth and goal from the one and
1: a half, right? And your offense is dealing. It's not and like you're, they were and, playing bad yeah. football.
0: And your offense is scoring. I, the optimum play, believe it or not, is probably a QB sneak if it's open. Mm-hmm. Now, and that that's a read on the line by the quarterback. Um, but the QB sneak is, by the way. Um, but if mm-hmm. you have... Even not, that's what's always drove me crazy is why they don't run options more towards the goal line. In um, an RPO where the quarterback's coming off, has a choice of handoff or fake the mm-hmm. handoff and pull it in and then throw it to trailing receivers that are in the end zone, it's a higher percentage play. They should go for it, get the six, call it a day, Let's go to the pub. Surly's on me. Let's go. Right? That was the proper choice. He went with the tried and true. Well, if we're gonna put points on the board, we're putting points on the board. Let's get the easy three. It was the wrong choice. I agree. The decision-making goes wrong. It didn't bite us in the ass in a long time, or this time. It could have because we could have easily gone up by six and then see them come mm-hmm. down and lose by one. Because, um, of course, that went through every Vikings fan's mind because it, we lived it too many times. Um, but, like you said, no harm, no foul in this case. But the correct answer would have been to go for it.
1: Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. 100%. And, and I'm old school. Yeah. yeah. And I think there's a balance because within the context of the game and the game flow, you can make arguments against the analytics. And I don't think this is one of those times. You have the offense is playing very, very good football. The defense is playing well, but you also have a sample size within the context of the game where your defense played like ass. And you have a great quarterback who uh, picked your defense apart last uh, year and took you down up six. Like You can't take those kind of risks, and that's the biggest frustration. But – Joseph,
0: Judd's if a friend of the show and a friend of the yeah. corner in the pocket, along with the entire Skull
1: North Network. Mm-hmm. Oh. Judd is one of the best people in this media market. If you ever have a chance uh, to meet him, uh, you will see why. Just a genuine person, and he loves his beer, just like right. us. Oh, but, yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. We have talked all the great stuff about today, or Sunday. We talked some of the things that we were a little frustrated about, some critiques. Mm let's start taking some questions ladies and gentlemen in the comments we'll give you a few minutes uh to get some questions rocking and rolling because i know there's a little bit of a delay dave i'm gonna give you my player of the week and then uh, while i give one i would like to hear yours as well uh player of the week this week you know uh, i'm gonna kind of give it as an aggregation uh like a the last three games i'm gonna give it to brian o'neill Ooh, Uh, that's different yeah he has been absolutely fantastic, 124, I believe, pass blocks reps, not one pressure. He has been fantastic, and he is proving to be worth every bit of the money that the Minnesota Vikings gave him right before the season started. I think that Brandon Thorne, who um, who um, does writes, great offensive oh, line breakdowns and defensive line but. I think it's Inside the Trenches is his sub stack. Yes. Anyways, go to his Twitter profile. He is phenomenal. The best O-line voice in media. Uh, right he now, had yes. uh, he had Brian O'Neill preseason as his 10th ranked right tackle. Mm-hmm. I think at this point, if he continues this at any kind of sustainable pace, you're going to be talking about Brian O'Neill in the conversation of top 10 tackles in the national football league. Not right tackles, tackles. tackles. He was playing that Over. good of football. It's very, very, very impressive. And for a pick that got absolutely ripped to shreds when it happened. And he was he was just an athlete. He was a tight end who became a left tackle. And they're like, Oh, he's a big project. What are you doing? This is a panic move. And you know They only played tackle for two years. They if I remember they struck gold. Yep. He played left tackle for two years. They struck absolute gold. And then they took Basically, his clone, Ezra Cleveland, and that hit as well. So uh, we need to give Rick Spielman the praise for that. Let's get those questions rolling in the comments here, well, ladies and gentlemen. But mine, hey, Dave, I want to you hear yours. Mine plays right next to him,
0: Mister Oli Udo. Yeah, Oli had a game of his life. Um, he scored in the eighties, uh, PFF wise, when they're doing their individual scores. But the key is, and I didn't save it, if you look at Alexander Madison's runs on next gen stats, where they start, you know, chart them wiggling up this way and wiggling up that way, he, he got like 70 some odd yards of his 100 plus yards between Ole Udo and Brian O'Neill off the right side. Mm -hmm. They were doing absolutely fantastic. They were opening up holes and just pounding people. And give it to Ole, who has been groomed as a Rashad Hills replacement, basically. Gotten as a tackle, drafted as a tackle in the late rounds. Figured, hey, maybe he can develop into Rashad Hills replacement as the lead swing tackle. And they made the decision this year. Mike Zimmer said he wanted to get bigger and stronger on the interior. And they made the decision, let's move Ole into there. And, oh, my, has it paid off. Now, we drafted Wyatt Davis this year in the third round. I think Wyatt Davis is going to sit for a while. And he's going to learn. It's not going to be bad for him. But I think he's going to sit. I think Wyatt Davis probably has a better chance of replacing Bradbury. Than he has mm-hmm. now of replacing Udo because Udo is playing literally that well. He is doing outstanding. I give my kudos of the game to Oli Udo.
1: I agree. Udo has been That's, fantastic. He's been a revolution. And uh, one thing that, uh, if you have the opportunity to go back and look, check out uh, friend of the show, friend of the network, OG contributor. Jordan Reed, uh, mm-hmm. check out his draft profile from 2019 on Oli Udo, where he talks about how good of a player he was at Elon. And one of the things that he mentioned specifically is he needed to improve his hands. And he's done that. He's done a great job of it because he's such a big guy. His hands are up here. He's done a good job inside of getting them low. That's been a really big key to his success. Now, fun part of the, of the show, Dave, we're going to take some questions from the great people in the right. comments. The first, first one
0: comes from Mary. Jefferson, in three games, how are you feeling about how he's doing?
1: First off, big props to Mary. She makes every show. Mary, you are the queen of climbing the pocket. Thank you very much for joining. Uh, once again, I'm okay with what Justin Jefferson's doing. I think he's had a little bit of the drop sees. I think he has three on the season already, which is a staggeringly high rate considering what he had in college and what he had last year. So I was a little worried there, but at an overall scale, I'm not worried about him at all. Within the context of the offense, he's not being misused. He's not being under targeted. He is not being ignored. He's gonna be just fine. Like KJ Osborne stepping up has been a revolution. And I think you, you'll you naturally see a stat regression from a guy like Justin Jefferson, because he's not being force fed the football. Kirk feels much more comfortable spreading it around because he has more people to spread it to. Well,
0: I was looking at... Uh, I th- think Justin Jefferson was perfect yesterday. I'm looking, trying to bring up the grades real quick.
1: I don't remember seeing a drop from him yesterday, no, but I remember... He was targeted
0: 11 times, reception 9, 81% uh, yards, 118. It does not explain the two. They could have been at his feet, or uncatchable. Um, And, of course, the one TD. Yesterday's performance was the JJ we are used to. I did do, or I'm in the process of doing an image of him. It was Nick that said, I'll be right back. It was when uh, (laughs) he ran into... The whip route. The whip route. He ran into the end zone, turned towards the uh, defender, raised his arms... Turn around, boom, touchdown. Gritty for the first time ever in front of the fans in the stadium. And it was absolutely marvelous. I am not worried about it. They got him him busy early. They were throwing balls to him early. Mm -hmm. I think that is part of the key. Keep him happy. Um, And he excels. Now, the next question is, from Dan, do you think this O-line, the line assuming the O-line, especially with the second part, will be top 15 by the end of the year, and will Wyatt Davis be groomed as center? And I answered that before. There's a mm-hmm. good possibility that's the case. Do you think this O-line can move into the top 15 by the end of the year?
1: Yes, I think they can, but no, I don't think they will. And I, I'm i going to take this question from Dan as it being a PFF metric. And I think we kind of established that uh, some of the things that PFF looks at when they do their grades, it doesn't necessarily favor uh, the Minnesota Vikings as far as achieving a positive grade because of what they're asked to do and how PFF looks at things. And I think because of that, if you're going to look at the PFF metric, they would have to be absolutely lights out all 17 games for them to be in that top 10 or top 15. Now, if you're talking in a general sense, like, if I look at these these thirty two O lines on paper, am I going to take the Vikings in the top 15? I think that was a very, very, very good possibility that that ends up being the case because we have a three-game sample size of very good offensive line play outside of a few plays in that uh, Bengals game. So when you kind of compile everything, in a general sense, I think they do. PFF, I don't.
0: Okay. Now, where do you get your offensive line scores? And I'll tell you where I get mine.
1: I, I I usually I watch the film and I combine it with PFF to try and contextualize it, but I don't actually look at anything else. What do you look at, Dave? Football Outsiders.
0: Ooh, by okay. Sports. Um, they do um DVOA, which I'm sure you've heard of. And Mm -hmm. they break it down by offensive line. I'm trying to bring it up, and it's asking me to subscribe. Of course, it's been a while. I usually don't Mm -hmm. look this early in the season because it's not enough small sample size. Size. Right. It's it's too early. We've only played three games. But they will go through, and how their algorithm works is it takes the production – that's the result of what these guys are doing. And then it ranks them from there, be it yards, be it points, be it field position, whatever it is. And it all melts that into a, a constant score. So it's equal across all 32 teams. It's how you're producing, right? Mm-hmm. How are you protecting and how are you producing? If you do well on those, you move up. If you move, do crappy like last year, you're down near the bottom, like 28th or whatever it was. I'd have to look. Um, but it all falls in there. And they're the only ones that I know of that, on a consistent basis, I know PFF will do offensive line and um, rankings, but on a consistent basis where you could look and actually see how they're moving up and how they're moving down as a unit. And that's what I appreciate. So those of you stat heads out there that love to look at stats, check out Football Outsiders.
1: Absolutely. Um, let's get a couple more questions, Dave. Yep. We just passed that 9 o'clock mark. We want to get the people out of here so they can enjoy the rest of their <laughs> Monday night. Is all close? Based on everything I'm seeing and hearing he is, he was taking live practice reps with the Vikings this entire week it would not shock me if, it, if he practices in full all three days of practice next week that he ends up dressing against the Cleveland Browns. Will he start? I don't know. That's going to be up to how he looks in practice, how the coaches feel his comfortability is with the offense, with just his core strength as well. Like I would love to see him, but I don't think you are in a desperate spot where you have to throw him out there.
0: Right, and it also is going to depend on how Rashad Hill plays. And this last week, Rashad Hill was
1: adequate, as the.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I think it might be a best situation if you you dress him, throw him off for a series, and maybe then throw him off for get get him baptized. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Now this week, the left tackle. We're coming up, and we're looking ahead, and more of the shows this week are going to be talking about it. But when we look at Cleveland. Um, he will go, the left tackle will go against, uh, what's his face, that just had five seconds. Clowney or
1: Miles Garrett?
0: Miles Garrett.
1: Yeah. And uh,
0: and we'll see. Now, it's I, there was an interesting question is, we shut down the Cardinals' big rusher after his big game. Will we shut down Miles Garrett? But that's. For some of the future shows this week, when we look forward mm-hmm. to the Cleveland Browns game,
1: absolutely. Obviously, let's get a, one more.
0: A lot of that came with uh, scheming.
1: Yeah, let's get one more question in here, Dave, and then let's uh, let's call it a night.
0: I'm waiting on another one. I'm not seeing.
1: Um, there was one um, up above uh, from Jeffrey asking about Kenny Longwell.
0: Oh, I missed that one. Ah, here we go. How will we use Kenny Wangu, Wang Chung as I call him, um, motion or slot and kickoffs? I
1: would love to see him on kickoffs. I want to see that I knee think, healthy
0: so he come back in can
1: do. Yeah. I think they're going to utilize him in a gadgety type role. Um, think Cordell Stewart as Slash with uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Take out the quarterback element. They're <laughs> going to use, I think, the slot that use him on jet sweeps, jet, jet motion. They'll get him in the screen game. They'll get him touches in space where he can make things happen. Limited touches he had at Iowa State, he was able to make things happen. Baptism by fire in that aspect as well. Mm-hmm. Because if he can prove that he can take over, Amir Abdullah be, all of a sudden becomes expendable. Now, Amir Abdullah has been really good for this team the past mm-hmm. few years, just being a it steady was good yesterday hand. was too. Yeah, he was. He's just a steady hand. He's not great. He's not going to overwhelm. He's not going to be, like, really, really good. But he's not going to be bad. And with the special teams element that he brings to the table, he becomes a very valuable third back in your running back room. So I'm really interested to see even Guangwu. I would want just use him in space.
0: Quang, thanks for joining the show. And, yes, they have very good ones. It's going to be a lot of scheming. And uh, running backs or fullback uh, CJ Ham coming up with some blocks. Uh, we do do a can run a lot of 12 formations with two tight ends. However, I expect a little bit less of that because we're so successful with the three wide receiver sets, like the guys said. Um, KJ Osborne has developed in a fantastic three wide, uh, wide receiver three. We'll see. It's gonna. It will be a challenge. But like I said, we're gonna get into that this week. <laughs> Tomorrow we have in the huddle with your favorite climbing the pocket personalities joining. Jason Brown should be leading that one. Wednesday, we have Vikings happy hour, and it looks there's a possibility we have Doogie Wolfson. Um, yeah,
1: Doogie
0: on the show. And we'll firm that up closer, but he is already committed to us, barring any sort of breaking news. And then, of course, Mm -hmm. on Thursdays, we have the great Flip Mozzie and Eric Thompson of Daily Norseman for Vikings
1: Hot Takes. Yes, absolutely. Joseph, to answer your question, photos not crooked. I level balanced it. It just kind of looks funky with the way my camera is set up. Let's it, it is lens level. Effect. Yes, lens effect. So you don't worry about it. Quang, I appreciate you stopping in for the first time. We will talk more about Bradbury as the, mm-hmm. the week moves on. And on this show, we will be talking about him a lot because he was a first-round pick. You want to make sure those first-round picks succeed. So make sure you tune in next week where we here on Climbing the Pocket Mondays turn your Monday purple. Have a great night, everyone. Skull everyone!
0: Thanks for watching. Like, subscribe, and ring the bell. And if you're listening on your favorite aggregator, make sure you rate us. And always feel free to join the conversation here at Climbing the Pie.